Salam everyone. This week I'm joined by Danish from Insects Clothing. He's been dealing with victims of uh, spiritual abuse for over 10 years now. And um, we first, I guess, talk about identifying what spiritual abuse is, um, talk about the signs to look out for, and, and all the various kind of bits associated with that. I think it's, it's a topic that people don't often discuss. And, and, and when there are um, situations and instances in communities or um, in religious institutions, a lot of it gets swept under the rug. Um, Danish has been at the forefront of dealing with a lot of these things, working with individuals and organizations um, and, and is probably the best person to kind of speak on this issue. Um, and, and we go into various different bits. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Danish. Salam Danish. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, I wanted to, I guess, start by... So, so today we're obviously going to be discussing spiritual abuse and the work that you do with In Sheikh's Clothing. Um, but I wanted to, I guess, hand over to yourself to give me a little bit of background about In Sheikh's Clothing itself and, and what you've been doing for the last few years with the, with the platform. First of all, thank you for having me on. So Inshake's Clothing started, so before Inshake's Clothing, um, I was working uh, locally with a lot of people dealing with abuse and uh, bad experiences with the religious figures. Um, that was about for seven years beforehand. And one case I had, um, I met Dania Shakfi on it as well. And we were working on a case of abuse and we, we just realized that we had to take our efforts to a larger level. Um, she also had been working over the years with individuals. So then in 2017, we started In Sheikh's Clothing as an organization to address spiritual abuse in different ways. Um, one is education, educating people about abuse as a preventative, creating awareness for it, um, doing programs in Masajid, training uh, Islamic organizations about abuse, how to handle it and procedures to put in place. And the large portion that I do is, is working with victims, coaching them to recovery, because most people really, they just want to recover from abuse, get the proper understanding of Islam, the wrong that was done to them, and to move on with their lives. So Alhamdulillah, I work with people all around the world for that. And how, how did you um, initially start out in getting involved in, in, in this kind of, you said you were kind of working within the community. How, how, how does one find themselves in a situation of, of, of dealing with such cases? I was studying um, with you know, the studying and, and doing Islamic programming, organizing, being involved a lot in the community, as well as, like, as I mentioned, studying. So there were people who were just known to do really bad things, mm. um, taking advantage of people, horrible treatment of others. And, you know, you get to see the close hand competition amongst du'as, amongst different preachers, and things that are just open secrets, that people know about it. Sometimes they'll laugh about it. And then, and it's known, but there's nothing people could really do about it. And then, you know, again, insight into how many people are actually working together to suppress victims. And it's just not seen as a big deal to many people. And then others do care quite a bit, but they didn't know what to do about it. So I was very vocal about these issues to the point of going up to people who were causing a lot of these problems and debating them. And, you know, what ended up happening was you get a reputation if you speak out. Um, as somebody who speaks out and as somebody others can go to. So that's that's how I started out. It just happened from seeing wrong, speaking out against it, and then people 
uh, recognizing you as somebody who does that and then coming to you for help and to understand their own issues. But again, one of the major issues was that sometimes you have this idea of ikhtilaf and just how it's all a mercy. So when I would make religious arguments, it would just be seen as, well, that's one opinion, this is another opinion. And particularly in these more spiritually inclined, like the Sof groups, many of it was just seen as any shari argument that you make is seen as being veiled from the ruhaniyat, from the spiritual dimension. So people would make these arguments of like, oh, that's just fake. These are the mutarasimu, these are the people of outward knowledge. But they don't understand haqqaiq, they don't understand spiritual reality. So this is what they would say about me and even others. And really any, any bad action would be justified, whether with money, whether with um, women bullying people, all of that spiritual manipulation, people saying I'm like Khidr and you're like Musa, you don't understand these issues. And you know, these are all very like manipulative tactics that people use. So it would work on people. And, and uh, even when they would see the truth in what I'm saying, people who experienced it, still people didn't really know how to address these issues or couldn't break from certain organizations so, despite so, knowing how wrong it was uh we're gonna i guess I mean, there's, there's so much to discuss here but i wanted to quickly just i think address something you've said about um you for example having seen this and, and people making jokes mm -hmm. about you know these being right. open secrets um and i think also reflecting on um the fact that I, I know, for example, a lot of people within communities in, in leadership positions from sheikhs to kind of everything else. And when you get to know individuals, you see uh, often other sides to them. And, and, and like you said, there are kind of known secrets, let's say, or, or you know, people's true natures are kind of known amongst certain circles, but it's not really taken seriously, not addressed, not picked up by kind of the, the relevant um Islamic organization or, or any sort of authority, why why do you think it it, it happens? What why why are people allowed to um, you know conduct themselves poorly and get away with it within the kind within this specific I guess Islamic framework and context? So one thing that that you'll notice is the money behind it. There's an economy here, and people who can perform well, who can sell seats, sell tickets, and bring people in they're the money makers and they're the big draws a lot of times. Mm. So a lot of other people's side economies depend on this individual being present. And many of these abusive people are narcissists. They're very good at emotionally reading people. They know what people are looking for and they will bring them in. And that includes people who might be against them a little bit, but if you just give them a stage, if you allow them to teach at your retreat, if you give them a once a week class, you'll silence them. And that moral stance that they were kind of working towards or wanted to take will disappear because That's, now they have a stage and relevance in the community. Sorry to cut you off, but it's quite... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I'm not making a judgment here about your worldview, but it's quite a cynical perspective that you've got there in terms of um, th this is the kind of uh, the capitalization of Islam almost where, you know, the fact that you're, you're alluding to the fact that it's it's individuals who... Um, are able to fill arenas and, and, and as you say, sell out events that are the ones that are able to get away with it. And because it is, it's, it's be almost become like Islam is, is a, has been made a tool for business as opposed to actually the intrinsic nature of what it is as a religion. Would you agree with that? Well, I don't know. I wouldn't agree with calling it cynical or even like um, a worldview. This is kind of just an analysis of seeing what's a reality. lot of the Islamic events have become. I mean, look mm -hmm. at them. How many groups are focused on knowledge and how many are focused on spectacle? 
how many events are the focuses on motivation and inspiration rather than anything that builds you up, rather than anything that actually has to do with saluk and sarbiya and get, increasing people in knowledge. So a lot of what you have left is people who do like people who do like uh, emotional speeches, you know, and their goal is to emotionally move you. There's not much of substance. And that becomes the norm of how Islam is taught. You know, and I mean, just look around, look at these conferences, how much of it is entertainment, how much of it is substance, even the people they invite who could provide substance, they're limited to motivational talks. How many people are actually studying something who can differentiate between what's uh, correct, what's incorrect, what's the level of the audience that they are engaging and why and are they invested in increasing the knowledge base of their audience? So How often is knowledge put down? I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you in some aspects, but, but I also think that there is a, a level of responsibility that we place or that we need to place on, on the attendees, on the people. Because if the feedback right. that's coming from these events is, oh my God, this was amazing. It was so good. I loved it. We had a great time. Then, then organizations are going to keep producing that. And it, it, it's there's like a fine balance between the two, right? Because I think, I mean, we're getting slightly off topic here, I guess, but it, it's an interesting point that you're making um, where it, you're right. It's, it's a sad reality, I guess, that this is, this is the unfortunate direction that we've kind of gone into and education. And, and I have this same gripe when I'm looking at Juma Khutbas, for example, and trying to find where the substance is, you know, where, where the actual value add is to our community rather than walking away feeling buzzing but not actually knowing anything new or having learned anything or having developed in ourselves um that's i guess a, a a systemic problem that probably does need to be addressed at some point um but as i said it, it, it's probably slightly gone you're going to say something yeah well i was i was saying this wasn't like me saying what everybody's doing you asked me about what i saw yeah right so in a lot of the things I was involved in and saw around me, this mm -hmm. is what was going on. But at the same time, you have madrasas and you have people teaching Arabic and fiqh and, and, and hadith, but yeah. very few people go to that. So, I mean, like learning your father, they knowledge is an obligation on every single Muslim. So it's beyond they have an, uh, like there, it's beyond there being a responsibility on them giving feedback to conferences. They have to go seek knowledge, even, and the conference is not the place to do it, but we have to understand what the point of conferences are mm. or, or weekend retreats. You know, they're, meant, they're, they're engaging people with just weekend attention. People who make podcasts, for example, they're fighting for uh, distracted attention. You're expecting, I'm sure, most people to listen while they're driving and not focused and taking notes, right? Yeah. I mean, right, I mean, this is, this is where I think reading Neil Postman would, would be very handy when we see that the medium shapes the message, right? And it changes the meaning of what education actually becomes. So a lot of people, if you ask them, their idea of learning or Islamic knowledge is watching a speech on YouTube. Now look at YouTube as, a, as an outlet, right? As a, as a medium. People go for what catches more likes or, or, or more views. Same thing with Twitter statuses. So those mediums end up shaping Islam to feel good messages. And that's what you get because things that require hard work won't get much traction. But so, 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 so I mean, I, I agree yeah. with you in terms of the responsibility. However, the madrasas are available and most people just don't want to put in that extra hard work. And in the Muslim world, I think the best example exists where you have like in Muslim countries, dars usburi. Like you have 
a aqidah class on one day, a fiqh class on one day, tasawwuf class on one day, hadith class on one day. And this is for the masses. And many masjids in America do this as well. I'm not putting any, like these efforts are there. So that's where people, that's for the average Muslim, they go and they learn. And over the course of years, they build up a very solid foundation of knowledge, but they know they're not ulama because they don't have a deep nuanced understanding of those texts, but they have enough to live meaningful lives. And that's something that would be very good to revive or to bring into like the Western world as well. And again, many events. And again, abuse happens even with serious teachers. So it's not, I'm not linking to abuse. We, we got on this topic because you asked me what I was seeing, right? So, 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 <laughs> so, uh, so just, just to kind of close this off from my perspective, the, the, the reason yeah. that I, um, I guess I responded in the way that I did is because I, I heard a lot of what you were saying and I see parallels with, with my own experience. Now we come from literally other sides of the world, right. but, but there's very similar themes kind of within that. To address what you mentioned about um, social media and kind of packaging Islam in that way, this is something that you know, we struggle with at the Muslim Vibe constantly, mm. where we want to be able to bring meaningful and deep content to people. Um, but there is that trade-off of like, okay, how do we, like we have like a, an article, for example, that's really substantial. And the title is very heavy, so unfortunately, it doesn't really get the clicks, and the image might not be that enticing because, again, it's not about uh, a, an influencer or something that's too relevant today. But th th those are the pieces of content for me that are the most substantial on our website, um, and and the job then is of marketing and packaging that in a way that's going to have mass appeal. But as you said, even in a physical sense, when there are classes that are going on, when there is the stuff that's there that's of benefit to people. Um, it's not as enticing or attractive enough and 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 yes i i think you know there is this duty that we all have as you said to co constantly and continuously gain education and understand our faith um so that is on us as individuals to kind of seek that stuff out um but yeah look i i mean we started off with with quite a, an interesting tangent but i wanted to kind of re-anchor the conversation um into spiritual abuse and, and i apologize i, I realized that digression was my fault um, no, I'm, I'm not putting welcome. that on you. <laughs> no, we could talk about anything. It's fine. We, could, we I mean, we, we probably will after we finish recording. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to, as I said, have an understanding of what spiritual abuse is, um, because I think it's an abstract term. And even when I've kind of mentioned to people that oh, I'm recording a, a podcast about spiritual abuse, responses have been quite varied, like, oh, what is that? Or, oh, that's great. And, and people not I identifying it, I guess, differently in, in, in different contexts. So for you and the purpose of your work, um, what is spiritual abuse? Yeah, so I think using their religion for, the, for worldly gain. Um, there's mm -hmm. different terminology Muslims have used for it, like to make it a sulama, like a ladder, like a way of accessing dunya. Using religion for dunya, that's the best really definition for it. Um, and that would encompass all fields. I mean, just to fulfill one's shahwa, whether, you know, you know, like with children or with women or with other men, that's fulfilling shahwa or to harm others, um, either by physical abuse or verbal abuse, uh, taking money from people, uh, you know, getting servants out of, making servants out of your followers. All of that would fall under spiritual abuse and then even things that don't don't harm others so when we say spiritual abuse it's again just the english equivalent of of the of these terms so speaking english i use the term it was it's just been in use mm. um and then also riyah when you're a volume nafsi you know just 
uh, so you could be a volum mirehi, a person can be a volum mirehi, an oppressor to somebody else, or there's a volum nafsihi, a person who harms themselves, oppresses their own selves. And that's through riya, you're showing off. So you can you can help others by giving proper guidance, but your intention is a worldly gain and gaining status. So all of that would go under this idea of using religion for worldly gain. So that's interesting because I, I think when you initially think about spiritual abuse, um, because the term abuse you know, commonly is used with reference to other people, there's, there's always that... Um, thought that that's what it's referring to but but you know like when i was um reading some of the stuff on your website earlier uh you do kind of categorize it as two different forms of abuse um one for the self and one kind of external which is which is yeah i i think an interesting concept and it's something that a anyone that's kind of involved in the space of doing anything within the community there is that constant need and necessity to check your intention and your ego and everything else that kind of comes with that which is which is i guess a struggle but does that then necessarily lead to the external form of use or are they two separate entirely there may be overlap but not necessarily okay so the other thing that i wanted to actually also discuss with you was was this notion of abuse victims not having a kind of a legal leg to stand on so often the kinds of abuse that you see are, are emotional um, and manipulation and things like that where they don't have any legal groundings. And, and you've also written and spoken about secret marriages which aren't, for example, legally registered in the country where, where the marriages take place. And then people are, are divorced swiftly after you know, they've been um, exploited and, and left with nothing. Um, it, do you think that... Or at least, I guess, from your experience, is that a, a systemic or is, is that a persistent problem within this space? Is the lack of legal remedies, is that a problem? No, as in, do, do people often prey on um, individuals and, and use this kind of uh, the fact that they don't have a, a legal leg to stand on as a form, as a way of kind of yeah. uh, exploiting them? So what I've seen as the most common, I guess, or close to what you're asking is using uh, poor religious reasoning or just any opinion that exists that says this is halal. Mm. Um, so for example, verbal abuse, which is actually to break somebody down, to, to just make them a shell of their own selves and make them completely subservient and humiliated as people, which is completely haram, uh, to say that's tarbiya, to give it a good name. And that's, that's um, one of the tactics of shaitan talbis, to give something bad, to make something bad seem appear, uh, appear good. Right. So that's that's more common because most people, I mean, to be honest, they don't want to like make legal complaints. They just want to understand what's going on, yeah. uh, get, get out of a bad situation, mm -hmm. you know, and then wonder if there is anything you could do about it. So it works in people's favors when there are no legal remedies. But what what's actually the most exploited are like uh, thick Think that, that we are like 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 mental gymnastics in terms of justifying one's actions. Loopholes. And this happens a lot in finances, for example. So I mean, a common hila, uh, like a uh, trick mentioned, that's very bad. Is like, you know, if if there's zakat owed on you, and the year is coming, you as a gift give all that money to your wife. So the year passes and that money is no longer yours, and then there's no zakat on you, and then she gives it back to you, and then that way you just don't pay zakat at all. Mm. So you have similar things in terms of finances. So, 
So for example, Fisabilillah uh, being one of the categories for those who can accept zakat, they'll, and, and let's put away all different, and let's just take that as a given. That, this is how we have to understand it. So this organization, the Sheikh says, if you can accept it, okay, go ahead. Fisabilillah. Now that goes into Islamic education and programming. So it then becomes a funnel for the for revenue for the institution. And this is how we're doing a retreat. Okay. Every every seat can be a hundred dollars for an attendee, but they can arbitrarily set a price, two thousand dollars for these seats for no really reason. And then the zakat that's given, it's now two thousand dollars to sponsor these people. And then it 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 comes back to the organization. Once the organization receives it, it's revenue. Hmm. So, because zakat covered the ticket price, yeah, 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 as a third, so but then it comes back to the organization's revenue. So these are the type of tricks people will do, and it's justified behind closed doors. And this is something they would not want to publicize because whenever people say technically halal, it means they know they're lying to themselves. You know, and it would be but quite th- humiliating. Th- but this, this is, is how they justify things privately yeah. to people, to some conscientious uh, volunteers or workers who have a problem, and they just say, no, 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 we have this photo. This is okay for this reason. Or people will pay their their staff with zakat money, hmm. you know, and then have some random photos for but, it. But this for me comes back to this conversation I keep finding myself having both on and off the podcast about form and essence. So, so the form of like paying zakat, for example, we know what it is, we know how it works, and yes, you can find loopholes to to you know, as you said, mental gymnastics to kind of find your way out of it. But the, the essence is lost in all of that. If, if you know you're kind of working the system for your own benefit, then ultimately you're not really buying into the ideology that we're, we're, we claim to sign up for as Muslims. Well, these people, I mean, they're, like we talked about con artistry, right? Yeah. So to them, it says, how do I get the money? And how do I appease the people who do object to this? And just hoping it doesn't go public. And in most cases, it won't go public, you know. Mm. So this is how they make money. Other other tricks, like some leaders have taught young imams, and they've come to me and bought this, is go to places and fundraise and show them a project you're working on, like a nice project, like building a masjid, building a library, mm. and then have a donation box. But don't say that the masjid in this, the money in this box will go to that cause. They will make that link in their own minds, but you're not held accountable for that because you didn't say it. Wow. So these are all types of hila. They're tricks on people. Then other people, they'll go the next level and just have fake causes. You know, and, and again, some of this stuff comes out like, you know, boards where like, you know, someone said to approve money and they never even heard about this committee they're allegedly a part of. Long histories of financial scandals. People know about it. And, you know, as long as the person has the stamina to keep going and to keep promoting and to keep getting younger teachers, people who maybe were kicked out of other masajid and exploiting their need to be um, relevant or to have work even, or people who perhaps don't even know about these issues, they're going to continue. And we have over a billion Muslims. So as long as people are there and you're shameless and you can keep asking for money and putting your your cause forward, you're going to find people. So so you mentioned the term uh, con artists and and it's something that you used in, in kind of the writing on the website as well. Um, what from the experience that you've had in dealing with these cases what are the most um, prevalent uh, cons that people are running how are, like what are the signs to account for I guess for somebody that's that's involved in a community or dealing with an Islamic organization or sheikh or whatever else but let me let me first say that um, 
can I just like add one point to the previous question? Yes, please go for about it. But then the legal remedies. So it really the main arguments stick to the Islamic reasoning, um, because mm. a lot of the stuff is just outside of the legal realm, as long as they're not cheating legally on finances, right? But then in other cases, when things are illegal, most people again don't want to take that extra step. It's very rare that somebody actually wants to take that extra step because a lot of the people who are targeted. Um, not necessarily for finances, but in other areas, they're already not very assertive and they just want to have a good opinion of everybody, which unfortunately makes them targets as well. The type of people who just don't want trouble and don't want to cause trouble. And that's why we really have to, this links to your next question because more so than just looking out for certain tactics people use, it's very important that we all um, become assertive individuals who don't accept nonsense. That's really isn't, the best advice. Sorry, just just to, to kind of uh, hit back at this particular point, I feel like what often happens in these circumstances, and I've seen accounts of, of people's stories with this, um, what often happens is that you know this is they're part of a community, they're part of a family now mm. um, within this setup, and and there's this ostracization that takes place. Um, where they will lose their social circle, they will lose their friends, they will lose people that they once considered brothers and sisters. And it's not necessarily that easy to then go the extra mile and, 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 and call this, all, this whole thing out because people just want to you know, get on with their lives. So it, it's, you know, being assertive in that way might probably seem easier to say than actually do, right? Of course. No, it, it is. You're right. Because, well, there's two parts. One is being assertive so you're not conned. That's easier to do. If a person just has an assertive disposition and yes, works to, to build start that, off with, yeah. it's easy to do. I'm not talking about taking a stance publicly. Those are two separate things. So if you're just assertive in your own interaction, that's the best way to really prevent cons and you don't, um, and you use your better judgment. So for example, one common tactic would be for money. Like I had to date in the Quran. Allah says when you have transactions, like write them down, right? It's life, the longest ayah in the Quran. <clears throat> it's the but longest what the ayah. would do Right, so longest I in the Quran. I didn't know that. And then, and then what Allah? What sorry? And then what people will do, like the Sheikh will say, "Oh, just give me the money." Oh, but shouldn't we write it down? Shouldn't we have? You don't trust me. And then they guilt that person as if they're calling that person a liar, the mm -hmm. Sheikh a liar. And what needs to be said is that no, I'm just following protocol. This is my protocol for everybody. And simple. Uh, assertiveness like like that to not be guilted and then you have to also be the kind of person who if you lend money to somebody have the assertiveness to ask for it back realize it's your huck and if you're shy to ask for your money back you should never lend it out to anybody but a lot of these individuals again they're good at spotting people who are going to be too shy to ask for that money back mm. and on the topic of money i think we should also mention that a lot of times it's the imams who themselves are oppressed by majid boards, you know, and and they're in desperate financial situations and they're mistreated a lot. This is a yeah. common problem that masajid board, they they treat imams horribly. You know, I, I mean, I get quite a bit outreach just, just based on that, actually. Like, I'm an imam, what can I do in this situation? They lie about somebody doing this because they don't want to pay them, especially, in, you know, so that that's that's another big problem that we it, it, funnily enough aware. just just a few episodes ago we, we we briefly discussed this with the guests we were talking about the treatment of imams and and how yeah. the boards uh hold power over them 
um in in, mm. in, in quite a, a negative way and, and it was it was geared around this whole co- conversation around education and how that isn't the center point of our communities which is similar to what we were saying actually earlier mm. um so alongside the the financial side of things um what else are the the kind of red flags that people should look out for because again i remember seeing stuff about um uh looking out for little signs like if if a, a sheikh or a teacher or whoever is for example messaging outside of hours or is 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 talking about things and and then will slip in like a, a joke um very casually within that what what kind of and again i i think it's important that for me at least that this is kind of experience based and not just like oh speculatively this is what could happen but what has happened to people in the past and globally as well because obviously you work with people from around the world um within this sphere so i would say that a lot of these lists of just signs they're not very useful because it's very hard to apply it when it's you and somebody you trust over a long period of time mm. but it's it, so that's why it really goes back to being somebody who doesn't accept nonsense and you know i, I can explain that if it's a bit vague but here I'm just going to go over some very clear signs, okay? So one, if somebody lies about an ijazah, there needs to be nothing else wrong. That is enough if somebody lied about an ijazah, okay? The problem is that even when somebody lies about an ijazah and they're caught being lied with an, uh, caught lying about an ijazah, it's justified as, well, maybe he interpreted this as an ijazah. As if it's an, it's an ishara, like an indication from the sheikh. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's like we can talk about science, but but I want to talk about people in the group the way they should think when it's somebody they admire, not as not somebody they have no relation with. Because if you already think somebody's not real or or not a proper sheikh, it's very easy to see these things and say, oh, that person's a fraud. But when people are in the group, it's a lot more difficult. And that's that's what I would like to speak a little bit more do, about. Do, so it's don't accept that wheel, like these mental gymnastics. When somebody said they have an ijazah, if there's no ijazah, don't accept ishara, don't accept an indication. Mm. Don't accept somebody saying, well, you should teach as, oh, that that was like an ijazah, so this is what he meant. You know, because because the good lies are based on some truth and then exaggerated and twisted. Um, another, another one would be doing haram, right? So doing explicit haram regularly. So everybody, you know, no one's going to be perfect, but if someone's doing ex- haram regularly, and let's say it's not harming anybody else, but it just, you know, a lot of a lack of piety there. You can maintain your good opinion. You can be thankful for the benefit, but this is not somebody you should take as a guide, right? And then even worse is when all those harams are justified hmm. and, and, and deni- or denied. You know, I mean, people, they're in, they're in groups where the sheikh doesn't pray and people just kind of wonder about it and move on, you know, and stay, move on meaning like they ignore it, but stay in the group. Another, another sign is like when people exploit gray areas, these healers that we talked about. So they do everything, everything that they do, you can't pinpoint that it's explicitly haram, but they live a life of ruqsa essentially, or exploiting gray areas where the untrained person won't be able to really answer what's wrong with them. Um, another would be non like uh, espousing beliefs in, in private that they wouldn't share in public. Um, again, this gets justified as people, you know, the awam, the average Muslim not being ready for it. But, you know, talking about explicit morals, like, you know, being against certain types of sham marriages in public, but then conducting them in private and then making yourself the exception of why I'm allowed to do it. 
And we get a lot of this and those, and it's just, it's accepted. Um, another big one is really when canonical religion is put to the side in favor of dreams and visions and feelings. Because then you allow your teacher to just make their own religion essentially. And yes, we have a, all that has its place in the religion, but it never overrides the Sharia, nor does it serve as a basis for anybody else to take a certain course of action. And when the entire religion becomes about that, you know, and these, these same groups will talk about how the Sharia is the foundation of our path and all of the soul and all of spirituality is linked, uh, intertwined with the Sharia, but they will not act by it. So lip service to Sharia is something every group has to pay, but they'll have their ta'wil and, and explanations of why not. And just one example, I mean, one person I brought up issues with uh, about an individual many years ago, and this person who I raised an issue to is respected as being very well-grounded in logic, uh, kalam, which is like, like okay, the sciences, and being very scholarly, you know, very well-respected. And what he said was that, well, this individual, when he's teaching, he's in the maqam of the prophet. So the sharia is in his hand. There is no haram for him. Anything he does is halal because he's in the maqam of the prophet. Wow. Yeah, and again, this would never be said publicly. Um, another... Yeah, so those, those and, and then putting down knowledge, of course, you know, like knowledge is just a means. It's interesting uh, in Talbis al-Iblis, a kitab, a book by Ibn Jozi, he mentions like how the, he mentioned how different groups go astray and like the way shaitan got to them. For Sufis, he mentions it was, it was uh, putting down knowledge and so knowledge is just to an end. So really like busy yourselves with worship and not with knowledge. Busy yourself with zuhud. And then they'll have zuhud on, on obligatory knowledge as well, thinking they're doing something good and shaitan's just laughing at them. So when people put down knowledge, and, and there's, there's, again, a little truth to all of this, right? Knowledge is a means to an end. So we have, for example, shaitan and many people, like you mentioned in the Quran about knowledge not being an end, but a means, but it's the best of means. What do we have except means to take to prepare for the ultimate end, husnul khatimah? Uh, when uh, when you've been talking just now i i can't help but kind of draw parallels between the kinds of things that you're saying and looking at cults um like you know mainstream kind of cults w would you think that's a kind of a fair comparison to have between the two like are, are there a lot yeah, of parallels a lot of these are that you yeah a lot of these are components of cults um the only thing is like when somebody's in a cult don't waste your time convincing them it's a cult uh, whether it's a cult or not is a little irrelevant as opposed to whether this is a abusive group, a misguided group or not. Because the word cult, you know, there's no like clear definition on what a cult is. But yeah, and these are elements of a cult. So I, I think again, um, I've, I've heard accounts of people that have found themselves drawn into circles or being a part of groups and uh, organizations and whatever else um, and, and find themselves you know, gravitating towards one person or various other things. And when when that takes place and someone finds themselves on the periphery or or uh, you know having realizations that actually maybe not everything is as 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 rosy as as it once was for them um how how can someone i guess in in that moment um what steps can they take um or if they think for example they have fallen victim to some form of spiritual abuse um what are the steps to take at that point so 
one would be to take stock of what's going on around you. Again, if you if your eyes are opened and you see this is about an individual um, who's put us at odds with larger society, and many ways this would happen is it's the end of times. Most people don't understand this. They're veiled. We're the special saved ones. And then just look at what's going on. Is this consistent with our deen or not? See, the, the advantage we have, and I spoke at a cult conference a few years ago, and my main argument was because we have a sharia, we have a criterion to measure all other groups by, all cults by. And the sharia is the standard by which we look at all other courses, all other action. Mm. So the best advice I could really give is to weigh what you see to the sharia and it's not to even look to demonize your group or anything of that nature. And if you can walk away, even with a good opinion, just do so. Don't even try to solve whether this is a cult or not. The most important thing is that you get out of that situation. And outside of um, groups in, in that way, in a structured sense, uh, is there something that organizations can and should do to kind of safeguard people in these ways like is anything being done i guess in that space yeah i mean i, I think we have to give up this idea that organizations or other people exist to keep us safe now this looking for safety is what makes people subject to abuse this idea that someone is there to make us safe and and protect us mm. and that's the easiest sentiment to to exploit i mean if you look at people who will just make a status or make a statement or a video of like, we need to stand up for women's rights. We need to stand up to this abuse. Enough is enough. They'll get a ton of traction. And it's, you're going to get people who are looking for safety. So a lot of these taking it a little bit to it's people who set up these small groups and small societies and neighborhoods, whatever you want to call them, um, buying plots of land and setting up. One of the promises that they give is a promise of safety. There's a lot of fitna in our time. We need to raise strong Muslim. Um, we need to protect them from outside forces. And again, this is where you get elements of a cult of like it's the outside world against us, you know. And it's not the same thing as Uzla or Khalba where like you're working on yourself to live or to um, protect yourself from harm. It's really just like stay away from them. A, a lot and, of, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but a, a, a lot of what you're kind of shaping the narrative on is around uh groups and and that kind of let's say cult like uh society specifically um but when when uh again from 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 your experience when dealing with spiritual abuse is that the only or the kind of most prevalent form of of spiritual abuse that's taking place or are the others kind of on no this applies in institutions as well i mean look you'll have just non-profits set up and people come and meet and this is how they'll talk but any group right just any any type this this largely happens in centers or places, right? Yeah. And it could be like a chaplain or just a Friday night halakha. But none of those people are going to ensure your safety. You need to ensure your own safety. And it's incredibly naive to think that other people will do that for you. Now, mm -hmm. that is a spirit we should all work to have because there are going to be vulnerable people who just can't understand certain abuse they won't be able to stand up for themselves they'll be pub publicly humiliated and i always say there's no public humiliation without public consent so we have to not allow a person to be publicly humiliated we should stop somebody doing that and say don't talk to this person in that way 
because public humiliation requires the silence of everybody to just sort of watch it happen, public degradings and, and the sort. Mm. And this happens in, in like Muslim, Muslim uh, like social justice groups, activist groups all over. So you can even take religious teaching out of it. You know, and this happens in, again, youth sports. There's a lot of this. We're just focusing on the Muslim community, yeah. but these are group dynamics in general. So that's why I don't mean to sound like I'm talking about spiritual cults in the Muslim circles. These are just group dynamics that happen everywhere. Mm. Activist Muslim groups, um, Salafi, Sufi, every single group. And, 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 and uh, we've obviously seen our fair share of um, scandals on a, on a kind of public scale and in incidents within uh groups amongst sheikhs and everything else do you think that there is a responsibility on other leaders to to speak out in those moments as a form of kind of justice or is there silence kind of passive approval or anything like that yeah so we don't believe in islam that silence is approval and the other thing is when we make statements like that we're assuming that whatever's public information is are all the facts which is seldom the case. And I've seen enough behind the scenes to know that things that get out publicly are not mm -hmm. the whole story. And anybody who knows the full story or a lot of it is not going to be able to react and give um, their opinion on the partial information that's available to the public. And there's a hadith from Samut al Najah that whoever, whoever is, is silent, the silent one has been saved. You know, these are problems you, you, you save yourself from, from not speaking about what you don't know about, not creating bigger problems. An idea of Nahin al-Munbar, is predicated upon a rujul maslaha, thinking that there's going to lead to a greater benefit and, and not a harm, at, at least being hopeful of that, um, a likely calculation that it will. So just to give your opinion on something that you don't really know about, why would somebody do that? Especially if the all the evidence isn't even presented as as is, case many times the responsibility of leadership is is to have mechanisms in place to where abuse can be addressed and and the presumption of innocence remains so this code of conduct that we made a lot the reason for that is so for example in cases of in secret marriages or marriages a lot of times what you'll end up seeing is this person used their influence over another individual to marry them and you know that needs to be shown somehow and and to assume that an imam is in the position of a counselor what's that based on you know so so we say for example in the code that if, if there's the counseling relationship it needs to be formalized that's in the benefit of everybody it so retroactively it's not said oh but he was a counselor and then there's laws connected to counseling in many states that a counselor cannot marry a counselee some say two-year gap some treat it like a therapist some say no counseling is different than therapist it's allowed and in those cases there are legal remedies which could be also exploited against the imam as well as used to hold the imam accountable in in case it really was that but if you're just clear about it again what the quran teaches is to be clear and remove ambiguity you won't have this retroactive case of whether or not this was a counseling rule. And, and again, not assuming ill intentions on anyone's part here. Mm. It preserves the presumption of innocence, which we really need to have, and to not fall into undue influence and coercion, which might be out of our own religious framework. It, it sounds to me like um, uh, prevention, sorry, uh, 
So what's the term I'm looking for? That that I, I basically t- taking action beforehand. Uh, I can't remember the saying now, but you know, uh, prevention is the best cause of. No, that's not it. How does it go? They're just saying a stitch in time saves nine, or something like that. I, I I'll take it right now. My <laughs> mind's gone completely blank. <laughs> but no, the, the, the point is, is that, the that, best that cure. Something like that, but basically, yeah. yeah so, so this yeah. is it. Okay, sorry, we we got there. Prevention is the best cure. Let's let's <laughs> let's assume that's it. And I said that right at the beginning. Um, no, but it, it seems like taking action um, before and as you say beforehand is 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 the best remedy for all of this. Because whenever I keep asking you about you know what should someone do when they find themselves in that situation, the answer you're giving often is oh well you should try not find yourself in that situation. Um, and and take preventive measures, um, but I, again, I, I guess to kind of further probe, if if someone does see themselves, because I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'm I'm trying to think of you know possible scenarios and based on some of the case studies you guys have on your website as well, that if someone has found themselves in one of these situations, it's not an easy situation to be in from a social perspective, from an emotional, psychological, uh, all sorts, because like you said as well that this isn't something that you just turn up one day at a mosque or an establishment or an institution and you meet a sheikh and he, he tell, tells you, give me 2,000 pounds or whatever. But it's like a, a relationship and a whole network that you've built up over years um, and have then found um, there to be some serious issues. And sometimes, you know, even that awakening doesn't happen for a lot of people um, at all. And it's almost like, you know, it's very easy sometimes when you look back on your relationships and your friendship circles that you can see that oh actually that was toxic and that was bad for me and you know we shouldn't have done that but how assuming that someone's gone through that kind of that initial brick wall of of realizing that things were wrong um where do they go from there a lot of that which i'll get pretending to just that is people wanting to understand what happened and how to move forward at the personal level mm. so if you want to know at the personal level i could talk a lot about that yeah, um, but if you I, I, talk... think, I, I think personal level would be interesting to kind of. So yeah, a lot of it is bit. just to, a lot of that is just to understand how wrong it was. And for example, nasiha is to look at the masla, is to look at the benefit of the person who is given advice to. So anytime somebody in leadership position, even a friend, gives you advice based on what benefits them, you're being cheated. And this is this is very far from any example of prophetic leadership or Islam. If people are told that standing up for their own rights is is ego is nafs then you know we talk about how the, the person defending their wealth dies you know they're they're a martyr it's not it's not dunya it's not love of dunya to die for your money you're actually a martyr that the honor of a muslim is sacred protecting your honor is a very high thing to do it's not a bad nafsi thing and then when people are told that whoever shows enmity to a wali of mine that i've declared war on them that this is not standing up for your rights to somebody just saying they're a wali and you shouldn't believe someone's a wali if they're even claiming to be and saying that being a wali entitles them to be above the sharia and harm other people. Um, a lot of times people are blamed for being too soft from verbal abuse, but that a Muslim is the one who people are saved from his tongue and his hand. Verbal abuse is very much accepted in sharia. You can't just blame someone for being too soft. And this and, and that links also to the honor of a Muslim to be belittled. Allah says, don't call each other by nicknames. A lot of times the way people are ostracized and belittled in groups is through nicknames. 
because you recreate that person as that nickname by saying, oh, it's the argumentative one. It's the philosopher, you know, of like anyone who objects to somebody who doesn't like objection. Or they'll call the person the Qadi in a circle. Oh, here comes the Qadi. And they'll say something. Oh, am I right, Qadi? Is that okay for me to say? Because they hate being corrected so much. And then that person becomes a laughingstock in those groups. Hmm. You know, and then, and, then, and then also people will just be, they'll be recreated as these nicknames and then not taken seriously. People will, will talk and then the sheikh will start like smirking and laughing. Then they cause other people to laugh and nothing they say is taken seriously anymore. You know, and then a lot of women, what they'll face, um, and this happens in women groups a lot, by the way, the sheikha or the ustada will, will fault them um, for not being modest enough. And there's no shadi standard for modesty at all anymore. It's just what she thinks. So she can always fault for doing nothing wrong and just, and just destroy the self-confidence of that lady. So I get that a lot from women who there's, there's no understanding of how to dress. There's no understanding of how to act because nothing is good enough because there's no defined standard and they are broken down and shattered, you know, and this gives health issues, PTSD, you know, panic attacks. It affects their marriages, their relationship with their own children, all verbal abuse. And, and again, you know, we have to also be careful of, you know, some of these statements of the solution is female teachers. Absolutely not. You know, humans are humans. Nafs hawa shaitan in dunya is for men and women. And again, a lot of the bullying is from female teachers. And some of that extends to their interactions with men as well and controlling the marriages of, of men and women. So a lot of it, again, is recognizing that this is not acceptable and then working of ways to even like seeing what perhaps for them made them more susceptible to this, how to move on and work on that. And then some will be recommended to therapy as well to work on uh, some pre-existing voids that may have existed. And so, so do, do, do you personally, through In Sheikh's clothing, help people through this kind of process? Yes, that, that's what I'll do. So that's what a lot of the coaching will be. And then other times we'll have whole communities rocked by scandal and there'll be like group uh, sessions working with them. And in other cases, um, people will be told because there'll be like internal investigations that are done by organizations or sham third parties, which is really a friend of the imam. So I'll get quite a bit of that. So I'll look at the evidence and say, no, this was completely wrong. They covered this up. And then, and then t- I don't know other means that they could take, you know, and then Alhamdulillah, we've had quite a bit of success with that. So one example would be like in cases of uh, sexual assault, like you can't prove sexual assault happened if it's just one, you know, like two people together. But what, what I'll say is like, look, there's enough evidence that there was a major violation of appropriateness, you know, like, okay, he's giving you rides, you're meeting at this hour, he's telling you to meet here, meet there. You have all of that. That's at least enough to say that this person did something inappropriate and and ask them is your organization okay with your religious leaders doing this Mm. you know so you have that and also it's it's worth mentioning that in islamic schools and even some like camp type settings you'll have female instructors who will seduce younger younger men um so and and sorry also i just just need to add something else um that happens is is sexual assault from adult men to adult men through the guise of rukia for example and of course it happens to women men to to women but something that we may not think is adult men to adult men through rukia spiritual healing getting them to undress and then touching them saying this is for your cure sometimes they'll just be not really conscious and just be groped and stuff like that as well undressed through the guise of rukia so i'm 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 conscious that we've kind of t- t- touched on quite a lot of uh, heavy 
things here, especially in the last few minutes. Um, but but one of the things before we kind of closed out, I did want to decide. I mean, th th there's two more bits specifically that I wanted to kind of talk about. Um, and the first one is is this notion. I, I mean, everything we've discussed has just been about people in positions of religious authority abusing their power, abusing their position, abusing people's trust, and and um, you know, using them for their own personal benefit, gain, whatever. Um, but I guess I, I wanted to try and not, I guess, turn everyone away from trusting any sort of sheikh. So my question to you then, I guess, is when it comes to um, dealing with uh, sheikhs or anyone or organizations or anything like that, how can we, I, I mean, I, I, I put the question to you personally, how can you trust someone um, after you, you, you've known of all of these issues and you've helped so many communities and you've helped so many individuals, like sh surely that loses your trust entirely for people um, within this space, if you know what people are capable of. Not, not in this bit, because what's our conception of religious leaders? They're human. So everybody starts with a clean slate. You're not allowed to think somebody is doing something that they're not without any evidence. And we look at Vahirul uh, Adala, which is outward uprightness. That's all we have to go by. But more importantly than that, at a personal level, you again have to learn when you deal with humans, you're dealing with the whole gambit of humanity, right? The whole spectrum of what a person could be. So I have consistently said, just like when you go to college or high school or have any other interaction, you know that the teacher could be very corrupt, they can be abusive, or they could be just average people. Assume everyone is the average person and just don't let religious position make you trust them more than you would trust any other average person. So don't let religious position make you trust somebody more. And this is, this is what abusive individuals will use. Um, so for example, in the case of women, a lot of times they will open up and spend more time with a man that's in because of religious position and religious trust than they would with any other man. And they can be people who are, who are known, women who are known for their haya, for their modesty, and they don't talk to men otherwise. And men who are wolves will recognize that this is my way of, of opening up those that communication, right? Mm. So what we need is for religious law like excuses being made to, to be ignored by people when they see nonsense. So the example I give is a lot of, you'll have, for example, uh, sometimes men touching women on their hijab saying it's, there's technically a barrier, there's a hail, it's not skin to skin, so it's not haram and you can't say it's haram. So we need uh, to encourage people to say, I don't care if it's haram, you don't touch me in that way. And if you, if a person has those set boundaries, I'm not going to meet you alone. Or you mentioned sending smiley text messages. You know, I'm not accusing you of anything, but don't send me smiley text messages. Don't text me at this hour. You know, that's really the only way when you set your own boundaries, that's really the only way you can confidently interact. Because look, they're criminals. You might walk by thieves on a regular basis. You just don't know it. And just like we lock our car door, it's not we're saying this person is going to break into my car. You just know that thieves exist and someone might break into your car. Mm. So, and, and then we, we're just focusing on religion for the podcast, but like, I mean, I've mentioned many times in sports, in public education, this is rampant, you know, 
I think we should be aware of the Catholic Church um, getting more media attention uh, for other agendas, you know, and public education scandals, they're being ignored. Why is that? There, there is an agenda against the church, you know, um, to undo traditional morality and, and abuse in Hollywood. How long has that been neglected for? Barbara Walter said uh, to, I believe, Corey Fieldman, who, who brought up uh, the prevalence of child sexual abuse in Hollywood. She said, you're damaging an entire industry. Barbara Walter said this. Hmm. You know, so when people care about their industries, their areas, they're often, they often blame people for speaking out as hurting the whole industry. In sports, this happens as well. Yeah. Collegiate sports, Larry Nasser. You know, Larry Nasser had hundreds of accusations of molesting, uh, I say, gymnastics women. And it was brought up earlier and it was ignored. High-performing teachers in public education, they're ignored. Politicians, as, as we see, you know, their, their abuse is ignored by people on their political side because they want to gain power. So this is, this is the whole world, you know. I mean, it happens in every single arena. I think, and, uh, so, so, uh, sorry to cut you off just quickly. I just wanted to, to uh, make a quick point that I think the difficulty, like within the, the Muslim community, for example, is that just as you said, whenever a topic like this is brought up or it's discussed, there's always that fear of, oh, but you're just exposing the issues that we have. And, and, and you know, we shouldn't do that because we, we don't need to sort this out. And, and it always gets swept under the carpet. So even I've seen when there have been scandals of this nature um, taking place that I've been aware of, it's never been, it's only like, it's, it's very much on a need to know basis. Um, and, and so unfortunately, that, that does then also mean that people are, are not made aware of how they should protect themselves, their children or whoever else from from the, the the external threats that that do exist out there um which which for me well, is hugely problematic yeah well i would say um and let me know if this answers that i want to mm. i want to address specifically what you said but also when we learn about abuse in education nobody says well that's why i don't believe in education anymore i'm not going to school these people are like nasty in sports well i'm not doing sports anymore i'm just giving up exercise in, in movies, and I wish I wish people would give up uh, cinema and music, by the way. <laughs> that would, we'd all be better off. But all the scandals there, all the pedophilia there, no one's going to say I'm giving up entertainment, um, even though that'd be better for all of us, right? Um, but when it comes to Islam, what you get unmasked, you're like done with religious figures now. Why is that? Why do you, because Islam, and for many of us, we take it as a hobby, you know? So it's like something you can just quit. And then blaming blaming uh, scandals, uh, or sorry, using scandals as a reason to not be involved or not, for your own religious sake, it, it kind of misses the point that light in life we're accountable for what we do and we will be resurrected and we're going to answer for what we did. And it's not necessarily being part of an institution or a group. So everyone has their personal relationship with Allah and we're all accountable for our deeds. And why, no why, why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Because it's a very interesting point. But why do you think people are, are so willing to kind of throw Islam away and throw the the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, um, when it comes to scandals or you know, with one religious figure that's suddenly done with everything? I think part of that has to do with there being an emotional attachment to Islam rather than an actual knowledge-based understanding of it, and knowledge is not really valued much, and also there's a, been a false teaching. So a lot of parents will teach their daughters that the sheikh is like a father to you or like a brother. Parents need to never say stuff like that because no father, no man, that's not your father is like a father to you. 
uh, no other man is like a brother to you, you know, and that's not to say that they won't look out for your best interest, yeah. but, you know, to, to just draw boundaries. And like, you know, sometimes you'll even have people like encouraging their daughters to hug or shake hands with men when they themselves don't want to do it. And they're not, you know, that's, that's, that's a very, that's a betrayal of the man of being a father. But anyway, I mean, we need to have proper understandings that these gender differences, they exist and certain things should not be crossed, you know, and we shouldn't make excuses for it. So that even the tarbiyah from the parents is, is messed up in a lot of cases and the way they're presented. And like you mentioned about text messaging and, and smiling as well, you know, like sometimes it's an older man. It's like, oh no, no, he's just an uncle. It's like a cute thing when he does it, you know? And we have to say, there's nothing cute about this. We don't believe in concepts like harmless flirtation. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times people will, like you'll have people saying like, oh, if, if there's a problem with, you know, men and women mixing in our gatherings, then that's just your own perversion. There's nothing wrong with this. And these things really catch on. And there are people who've had bad experiences in more divided areas. And, you know, women obviously get mistreated in, in those areas as well at times. And then they'll be attracted to these areas and feel more honored. But the person behind it has his own angle. And this is why you have to see these uh, abusers as con artists, because they will use whatever angle is possible to get people. And, and again, this happens in the most conservative and divided places, a lot of times through administrative tasks, as well as the open spaces. And one shouldn't be viewed with more suspicion than the other. You can make argument about being guided and misguided, what's good for that, what's bad, that's different. I'm talking about abuse and the way a con artist can use any angle available. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I I, I want to, I don't know if there is a positive we can kind of end on, but, but I do want to kind of, look forward and i guess also i mean for you to 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 reflect maybe a little bit on the uh, if we can call it relative successes that you've had and I, I think you know one of the things that i really like is is the notion of this code of conduct um that you've got on the website that that is i guess for uh people um in terms of how we can approach our communities and our institutions and what we should expect from them um so yeah as i said i don't know if it's, if it's possible to to lift the tone somewhat but in terms of the future and looking forward how do you see us being able to kind of um better ourselves and and i guess for more less people to fall victim to to these kinds of issues in the future yeah i mean first i would say that none of this is really meant to be negative because again this exists in all areas yeah charities whether you're i don't mean negative in that way but it's, it's, it's a heavy conversation yeah. you, you know what i mean yeah, 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 no, absolutely. But again, don't expect anybody to be out of their benevolence to adopt anything that's going to help you or protect you. This has to be done through some pressure, mm. you know. And again, like, alhamdulillah, many organizations have adopted it. And, you know, they make their changes, which is fine, you know. We have absolutely no, like, Amir al-Mu'minin delusion where we're just going to, like, this is the rule, follow it. No, it's just to establish clarity. So people can change it. This was our attempt at saying what are universal bare minimums. Um, like differentiating between counseling relationship and then the imam who just gives a nasiha, so they're mm -hmm. not conflated. Um, the goal is to preserve presumption of innocence and then also give people a leg to stand on. So they don't have to say, they don't have to make the hard case for haram by ijma, you know, because no society's ever worked on that. You have, you have ma'ruf means it's known, it's good. It takes social values into consideration, what's appropriate, what's not. And, you know, we don't want to get into whether this is a kabira or a severe major sin, a minor sin, whether the person repented or not. We just look at violations of code of conduct. We're not going to attach any other labels to them. We don't have to call this person a fasic. We don't have to do anything. Just did they violate what we agreed to? 
And if so, we, we, we have, the person has a leg to stand on, you know? Otherwise it's like offering rides, pressuring uh, to give rides ladies home, for example, uh, rides to young ladies home and saying it's not technically halwa because the car has windows and people can see, you know? And it's like, just put in your code of conduct. Is this appropriate or not? Let people know from the beginning. Hmm. So my advice has been, don't get involved at a deep level in any organization until unless they have something that gives you recourse. And if not, just don't join, you know, just don't get more involved than maybe like praying Juma there, for example, or something more casual. I guess the, the, the interesting thing is from a, from a human kind of psychology level, we always have that need, that yearning to feel a part of something, to be, feel a part of a community or whatever else. So it, it's, it's easy to say, oh, just have a superficial engagement, you know, as you say, like Juma every week, but then you're, you're going to naturally start talking to people and make friends and kind of get drawn in that way, as is our nature. I think it's, it's within our fitra to kind of congregate as people um, and, and, and come together with like-minded people and, and, and you know, work together, uh, socialize and everything else, right? That's the, I, I think that's the difficulty and why we're seeing this as, as such a recurring problem over the generations. I don't think it's going to stop in 2020. Um, it's, it's just going to keep going on. We'll see it this way. It's, as you mentioned, an absolute human need. And anytime there's a human need, there is somebody willing to exploit that human need and take advantage of it. And that's what's happening. There's a need for community. Let's start a community. You know, I mean, look, you know how easy it is if anybody with ill intentions just wants to start a Friday halakha at a masjid, start a youth group, start hikes after Fajr, you know, and then, you know, most people will be happy. Mm -hmm. A few won't. And terrible things could happen to those few individuals. And a lot of other people are going to vouch for how great this person is. So, yeah, as you mentioned, it is a human need. And the way con artists will work is they understand what the human needs are and they will use them for their own benefit. So we have to be able to um, bring some justice and some order to these arenas so the human needs don't become places of exploitation yeah i i mean as i said i i wanted to to try and kind of wrap up on a more positive note but i i, th I feel like i feel like you you you're so kind of uh, battled hardened by by all of the experiences that you've had that it, it's just kind of no but it, it, it's valuable because as i said like even even for myself I don't I don't see the world like you do when it comes to this this notion or these topics because I haven't seen what you've seen right I haven't kind of lived through that and I I think there is that naivety that a lot of people have and and one of the points that um, I mentioned to you beforehand like with the code of conduct um, one of the bullet points I'm just going to read out it says understand that anyone no matter their social status is capable of doing horrible things even the religious figures who talk the uh, who talk about the importance of justice accountability and transparency. Now, this is something that I've seen firsthand because I've dealt with sheikhs. And I, and I know, for example, not to trust people just because they have a title or they, you know, wear certain headgear or dress a certain way because that doesn't ultimately mean anything, right? You, you know, um, like you're saying, behind closed doors often and, and in one-to-one in, in -one meetings and whatever, you'll see their true nature. You'll see the, the aside comments they might make and whatever else. And you, and you kind of realize that they're human and, and, and they are, are, are just like me and you, it's just that they've, they've studied a lot. Um, and and I, I think that for me at least, it was important to have this conversation today because people need to, to appreciate and understand that this does happen. 
and this is something that you know you've obviously been dealing with and 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 I'll, the, the link to your website will be in the description where people can read case studies of things that have happened in in communities pretty much globally um that that you've personally have dealt with um so yeah i i, I mean that's that's pretty much it from my side I'll give you another go if there's like a positive uplifting message. You know, like the, you know, you know the, the, yeah. the events that you spoke about at the beginning. We don't want that. We don't want the hard stuff. We just want like a nice motivational message <laughs> that we can, that we can use and, and, and end there. But no, go on. Any well, closing say, remarks? Look, I'm not like, I swear to God, I'm not the least bit sad or like negative about this stuff. I don't know. Like, like having just an understanding of this, it doesn't, make anything negative you know it's like if you see a lot of material out there like you can just understand that if you understand marketing you can see how much is style and how much is substance how much is smokescreen how much is actual quality stuff right yeah and that that understanding should not make anybody negative again there is ilm available and that's what i think people should go towards and again things can happen there because you're dealing with humans there's no way that a human can be trusted as never faltering. That includes me, that includes anybody else, right? So understanding that people are fallible and not just fallible, some are very uh, predatory, that should not make anything negative for people. We're dealing with humans and humans have the whole gambit of humanity, okay? Um, the other thing is that, that um, we should feel a sense of responsibility of making these places better. And a lot of that is, again, not being passive in our interactions. So if we're, if we're active and we, we leave the home with the intention that if I see something wrong, if I see somebody being mistreated, I'm going to address it. Those are the natural checks and balances that don't let abuse grow. So when we do our part there, we make it better for everybody else and mm -hmm. people will find strength in you. So maybe that's a little motivational. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you had to really try hard for that. But no, no, genuinely, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been um, a, a fascinating insight, I think, into into something that maybe sometimes people think about passing in, in, in passing, but not really dwell on and, and, and really think through. And, and I think, you know, as you were talking a lot of the times, I was kind of reflecting on my own experiences um, and circles and relationships and everything else. And I think like like you said you know we're talking about this from a, a muslim community perspective because this is the muslim vibe podcast but this is kind of prevalent throughout society and it's something that we need to kind of assess um at every level in, in kind of every interaction we have um but no go on were you going to say something yeah i just want to add that like again this was you know the focus obviously but i've done i've done work a lot in the workplace bullying as well as in sports Okay. So like I, I can talk a lot about how this happens in other areas, um, but also just to add, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu he made dua that Allah show him reality as reality. So reality is always better for the believers. You know, to use the Sufi language as we want uh, the veils to be lifted for us because reality is always better than fantasy. And there's nothing negative or cynical about that. <laughs> then we understand our place in the world, our responsibility and we live as mature, responsible adults. We look after those who cannot look after themselves. And we always strive to do the right thing and ask Allah for tawfiq and Alhamdulillah. Well, th thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Danish. Um, I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's something that we don't necessarily think about all that much. Um, but there were some key takeaways for me from this conversation. 
I think firstly the fact that anyone can abuse um, there's no kind of archetype for you know what an abuser looks like and especially when dealing with this religious and Islamic institutions people will use and manipulate um, things that we hold sacred so core tenets of faith they will manipulate them to their own purposes um, so that's definitely something to kind of look out for um, we spoke about having a code of conduct and, and again the stuff on their website but you know ensuring that organizations modern day organizations that we're working with and we're involved with have a code of conduct i think is a really really important um, element that needs to be addressed and finally um, prevention is the best cure i think that was the the saying we got it in the end um, but but taking steps beforehand being aware and, and going into situations with an open um, with you with your eyes open so not allowing yourself to be conned you know those early steps being assertive as well i think danish spoke about that quite a lot being assertive and making sure that you you speak out and and you say when you feel uncomfortable when someone has trespassed your own personal boundaries um you know not not just if someone justifies it from a perspective saying oh this is in islam it's okay but if you don't feel comfortable with it then it's important that you kind of speak um but that that pretty much i guess wraps up uh, another episode of the podcast if this is um your first podcast or if you've listened to a couple and you haven't subscribed please do subscribe um also consider supporting the muslim vibe the donation link donation no the link to support us sorry will be in the description um that money goes towards helping us produce more content and um we've actually seen quite a bit of an uptake the last few weeks of people just you know giving five ten pounds a month but that really means a lot to us thank you guys so much for the support really appreciate it and inshallah we'll be back next week with another podcast um until then stay safe and um yeah just stay, stay safe and we'll see you next week inshallah guys take care